Welcome to the Heart Tech Podcast, a show about innovation, technology, and leadership. This podcast is brought to you by The Heart and powered by Avenue Media. This is podcast number 13. Hello and welcome to the next episode of the Hard Tech Podcast. Today we have a very special issue on open banking and our guest today is Kim Fournay, CEO of Saxo Bank. Hello. Thank you. Welcome to the Heart. Thank you so much. Uh, let's start with the story. Um, for the last 25 years, uh, you've been trying to democratize investment management and trading. How advanced are you on that mission so far? <laughs> well, I think, first of all, it's a, it's a never-ending mission because everything should constantly improve. But I think we come quite a long way. And uh, when we started back, actually, more than 26 years ago now, you know, transparency in foreign exchange markets and pretty much any other market was not really existent at all. So uh, we started, so to speak, to democratize investment or trading in, in, in foreign exchange. And since then, we have uh, added uh, global multi-assets to the platform. So you can now trade uh, bonds, fixed income products, commodities, uh, stocks, uh, foreign exchange, uh, obviously equities on a global level as well. And uh, so now you can really trade or invest in, in any macro cycle of the economy in a very, very, very transparent and cheap manner uh, on Saxo's platform. So so I'm quite proud of this, but uh, you know there's still more, more to do. You've built uh, really a big Danish giant in this space. Can can you tell us about the beginning? So I heard that you, when you were starting when you were 26, you bought a telephone and with friends started this. Uh, can you tell how it evolved into Saxo Bank? I had basically worked in, in the industry for, for a few years. And as you say, it's, it's been half my life, 26 years ago. And um, I just saw that there was a big need to uh, give much better service, to give better transparency in pricing and better liquidity. So this was obviously way before we, we started developing technology. So it was literally uh, starting up on a shoestring. We only had uh, 70,000 in, in capital. I managed to find that capital uh, uh, from from good friends and also what, what became my partner for a number of years. But I really had only one employee back then. And since then, we have uh, grown organically to where we are today. And that's... I think it's only because we are focusing a lot of creating win-win partnerships with our clients, with our business partners, uh, as well as employees and shareholders. So if you have this notion of trying to constantly improve and create win-win partnerships, many things become possible in life. Can you tell us how big is Saxo Bank right now? Just north of 1,500 people uh, in, uh, in 15 different uh, geographical locations. Actually, pretty much half of our people are, are technology people doing either uh, development or business uh, development in, in Saxo. So either technology development and, uh, or business development. And um, we, we have uh, offices and, and bank licenses uh, pretty much uh, all over the world apart from, from North America. Um, we have uh, started doing what we call white labeling business, where really we give out our technology to other financial institutions because uh, that's a very efficient way of collaborating. We started doing that even back in 2001. And today we have around uh, 120 financial institutions, typically banks, but also brokers that are, are fully utilizing uh, our technology. So, um, I mean, we, we come some way since the beginning, but uh, we still believe we have a long way to go. I heard you call that model business as a service. Can you tell us more or less how it works and what's the process for a, a partner to to join your network? Yeah, well, we, we call it actually banking as a service. And the, the whole concept of this is that we do not believe that it makes sense in a modern world with modern technology, with cloud services and crowdsourcing, that 
all financial institutions are really trying to build and uh, maintain and develop everything for everyone. It's simply too expensive. And uh, there's a, a big technology debt out there. So what we have focused on for a number of years now is to deliver what we call banking as a service. And what that means in reality is that we support the full value chain of global capital till markets, uh, trading and investment. Which means that that you know when we are working with other financial institutions, they typically have a very strong brand and a strong client franchise, but they are not necessarily the best fintechs in the world, which you know honestly we believe uh, Saxo is, and they don't uh, necessarily produce all the products or all the services that the clients could be interested in. So Saxo Bank have uh, since our beginning worked with all the major global banks, all the global product and liquidity specialists within trading and investment. So that's ranging from from the very big banks to to different uh, specialist uh, companies. And in that way, we have a very open architecture where we can give clients and also clients of our partners access to global multi-asset. And that also means both uh, trading, but also very much investment, so that everyone can get access to the most uh, cheap and efficient uh, product uh, diversification. So so really that they can have a very good way of managing their, their long-term uh, wealth or, or savings. And that's pretty unique. Uh, and, and I think for, for most financial institutions today, they really have a client franchise and they have clients, but they are not technology providers and they are not the best to deliver all the relevant products for their clients. So it really demands collaboration, a win-win uh, oriented setup where you kind of debundle the value chain. So you really let people or, or institutions do what they do best. And then, you know, we're from Denmark, so in Denmark we have Lego. Mm-hmm. And, and if you can build kind of a Lego approach uh, as to how you want to service your clients and how you build a, a, a complete operational value chain, it's also called open banking. But that's really what banking as a service is, that you, you collaborate with your core competences and then you find partners that combined can, can cater much better for, for uh, the clients in question. You've mentioned Lego blocks. There are now many new Lego blocks appearing on the fintech uh, <coughs> market in the ecosystem. How are those new players actually changing the landscape? Well, I think first of all, it is obvious that the traditional banking models needs to change that the way that people have developed uh, financial technology needs to change, that regulation forces things to change, that change consumer behavior forces things to change. And also, actually, when you look at, at how investors uh, all over the world, uh, savers, you know, will, uh, have diversified their portfolio, it's not very well diversified because you do need to have a, a global asset allocation in stocks, bonds, uh, you know, foreign exchange, commodities and so forth. And you need to diversify it uh, not only in asset classes, but also in, in, in regions, you know, emerging markets, more developed markets and so forth. And I think that what fintechs uh, are doing uh, typically is that a lot of them that work within the, the, the global capital markets, they actually work with Saxo. Because we have we have developed a, a commercialized open API, and that's really part of this open banking or, or, or banking as a service, where smaller, agile fintechs can use our open API to access global capital markets, which is really a very, very efficient model that, that no one has really offered. So I think it, uh, fintech is about specialization. It's about uh, technology. It's about understanding consumers. It's about finding uh, better models to service them. 
but fintechs are also, uh, at least if they are to succeed long term in our view, people who thinks in terms of open banking, who thinks in terms of open API. Uh, so they may be one or two Lego bricks in a in a very big uh, kind of setup. And and I think really the the notion about fintech is that it's very much about collaboration. It's very much about partnerships, and it's of course about developing within finance unique technology that can cater better for the clients. Most established corporations that we work with, and I'm sure that you work with as well, uh, are trying to transform now into being a tech player from an old uh, traditional institution to an agile tech player. As someone who is or has done this transformation into a very rapidly growing tech company. What advice would you have for those bank CEOs and other companies that are trying to make that jump? Well, I think first first of all, I mean, we, we kind of had a fintech business model way before people talked about fintech because our model has been the same since the late 90s. And that's a very open collaborative model. I think when you sit and manage a financial institution today, there's one thing beyond anything else that you need to focus on, and that's the clients. Um, and and uh, it hasn't always been like that. It, it sounds pretty obvious, but it hasn't always been like that for financial institutions because many have focused on, on products and then they try to sell them to their clients. I think that's turning around now to be more kind of a, a value chain uh, focus where the clients is really the center of the universe. And uh, when you then think about how can you service those clients better, Well, then you need to to be able to freely choose your 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 products, your services, and so forth. And also, you need to choose the best technology. And as I mentioned before, I think the notion that everyone should now try to kind of transform the bricks and mortar into being a fintech, I don't really believe will happen. And I don't think it's the right thing because technology is one part. Culture is, is much, much, much bigger. And also, as I mentioned, the notion that everyone should develop everything for everyone is simply not practical. It's way too expensive. So I think the the CEOs and the boards in financial institutions that that want to kind of uh, take advantage of of this technology uh, development needs to think in terms of partnerships. They need to to build that ecosystem with Lego bricks. Uh, hopefully, they have a, a good brand and some clients themselves. They may even have some products and services, but I think they need to think in terms of partnerships uh, as to how they can support their clients better than anyone else going forward. Because it's really the clients that will determine mm-hmm. uh, stuff. And, and uh, you know, historically, it's been uh, pretty much not only in, in, in Denmark, but many other places that people actually changed bank half as often as they got divorced. Right? So, I mean, that's a little bit strange because it's not like the banks have been catering that, that well for, for all the clients. And I think it now with digital onboarding, now with uh, all the new regulation, with PSD2 and so forth, I I think clients will move more uh, frequently and they will be less loyal and they will uh, obviously focus on on whether they get the unique client experience which you can say is about what kind of products uh, the platform the user interface the the pricing and the service that they achieve because that in the end is going to determine who will be the winners because we all consumers and and we want the best and and uh, if you cannot give the best and no one can give the best for everyone in on all counts so i think the only answer is really partnerships. You've mentioned culture and I see that as a big challenge in the transformation of big corporates we work with and people obviously say that culture eats strategy for breakfast. You know, there might be things you intend to do but then culture doesn't really allow that. To what extent the culture at Saxo has affected your success so far and maybe what are the top two three things that you see are special for the culture you're building? Well culture is a fragile thing and and it, it, it comes from leadership and I think every organization including Saxo can easily get sainted unless you keep culture alive. 
and and that also means sometimes making uh, difficult choices because culture very much builds on your virtues as a company uh, and those virtues you have to live uh, also the day where uh, maybe that's not what you want to do the most the thing is what what makes all of this uh, difficult is change and and uh, to have a culture that uh, always likes to get out of the comfort zone is not easy so you have to keep uh, nourishing it and you have to keep showing strong leadership and when we are in a, in a period like we are uh, now where where technology regulation change consumer behavior and so forth is, is changing the landscape and forcing business models to change well then you need strong leadership uh, that can also explain to all the people that are now sitting in 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 functions that will have to change going forward and explain to them that that you know we, we we need to we need to find something else that you can do because what you did yesterday is not going to be relevant for tomorrow's uh, institution and that demands strong leadership it demands a lot of candor and it demands that that um, you know you have a very honest discussion around these things because if you try to avoid having the discussion about what change means and how you're going to basically uh, adapt to it and handle it Uh, nothing will happen and and i think that's probably one of the the biggest uh, obstacles for for creating that uh, culture that's going to be needed in the future you've mentioned strong leadership what has been your experience as an entrepreneur and ceo of making bold decisions on, on this journey can you mention one or two that that were really hard to make or you required some courage <laughs> well i think we made a lot of bold decisions i think i'm pretty good at making bold decisions sometimes maybe making even uh, too many bold decisions but i think One thing is, for example, uh, moving things to the internet before the internet was used by anyone. That was a bold decision. I remember we were only 35 people back then when we started employing programmers and so forth. And people said to me, uh, you just want to uh, now get everything on a computer and we don't have a job. Again, the change, the people were afraid of change. We were 35 people back then. Now, as I said, said, we are more than 1,500. So, so the, the outcome was because we did something for the client that created more transparency, better pricing, ease of use and scalability and so forth, we actually uh, survived and, and were able to grow as a company. But that was a bold decision. People didn't like it. Another one was to 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 move into multi-asset because uh, uh, macro cycles in the economy, you have to be able to take advantage of them. People won the Nobel Prize to talk about capital allocation, but most platforms don't allow capital allocation because you can only trade uh, one asset class or something. But that's also a big technological move. And again, you push people out of the comfort zone. Another thing is uh, move things to the cloud. Uh, it's to move, uh, to use uh, AI. It is to uh, make sure that you really, really reduce uh, leverage opportunities for clients, which is uh, short-term costing you money. But long-term is the only right thing to do because it's it's creating win-win with the clients and so forth. So I think, I mean, I, I could talk a lot uh, about many bold moves, but... Bold moves are not something you do once in your lifetime. It's something that you do on a regular basis when it's needed and when you can see rationally that you have to make a change to create win-win and be long-term sustainable. How do you stimulate that continuous innovation in the company and in your own <coughs> thinking about the industry? Well, I think, again, it starts very simply with, with thinking about the clients. And, and I see myself as a client. I, I hope uh, most Saxonians see themselves as a client. That's a, that's a big part of creating the right client oriented culture but then you also have always ideas and I mean I, I'm a guy with a lot of ideas and, and I, I really want the world to constantly improve and I see many many ways where, where things can be better 
and and uh, humanity has uh, evolved uh, over thousands of years but clearly you've seen an acceleration in the last couple of hundred years and, and I mean the time we live in now things are changing faster than ever before but that's all it's not changed in its own right it's about constantly improving stuff and if you have a culture where you constantly try to improve and you never ever get satisfied <laughs> that may sound strange but you have to be always hungry for the for the next thing uh, and then of course you have to prioritize and sometimes you'll make wrong decisions and then before those wrong decisions kills you you have to kind of find another find another the past right but that again i think boils down to culture and and we have never ever run out of ideas in saxo we have uh, always many 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 more ideas than we can possibly execute and implement let's now look at the future what, what new services do you think can emerge with the help of open banking well i think uh, again the open banking uh, is many things but it's really very much the legal approach and cloud is a is an important part there And when you are in, in in the cloud with open APIs, you can truly have open banking where innovation can uh, make you much more agile because then you can kind of uh, uh, collaborate in the partnerships I mentioned and get other legal breaks into your your own uh, little building, and and that means that that you can actually evolve very quickly. Now we have always focused on uh, global capital markets and traders and investors on a multi-asset basis and multilingual and so forth, and and that's still our focus. But for us, for example, we know that a lot of our clients, they also want insurance products. They also want uh, core banking. They also want uh, various payment solutions and so forth. So in an open banking environment, you you can obviously uh, get those services to your clients but without delivering them yourselves. And that's really the, the, the whole uh, idea behind it. In terms of our own specific area, I mean, we're using AI and big data a lot to create much more uh, personalized uh, services. We're rolling out now a very, very unique investor platform in, in uh, not a very long time that will support much better the what, you know, I was called them the what should I do with my money type of clients. You know, uh, people like my mother, who's a, a very nice and intelligent woman, but she would not understand how to use a trading platform. So it's also about uh, how do you package this? How do you make it easy to use? And, and uh, uh, how do you create solutions that can really fulfill people's uh, risk appetite and the time horizon and then tailor make uh, the right uh, product for them? So I think you, we're going to see a lot more of that. And, and uh, that will clearly be uh, built on technology and, and AI. We have, uh, we've done a lot of that already, and I think that that's going to be a big, big trend for the next couple of years. Does blockchain uh, influence that a lot? In your <clears throat> well, I think uh, blockchain, I mean, uh, when, when people talk blockchain, most people think about cryptos, right? And mm. I don't think they've been a huge success, honestly. But I do believe that blockchain technology will definitely play a major role going forward. Because the notion that you can have distributed ledgers and, and, and really have a, an easier way to, to store and share information will be powerful. But it, it needs standards. Because if you're the only person in town who, who, who uses a standard, you can't work with anyone. And as mm. I said, partnerships is going to be critical. So it needs standards. Uh, like, like many other places in, in the world, we have agreed on standards. They have not yet been agreed within banking. But I'm, I'm 100% sure that that will be more and more important going forward. And it will, again, help to reduce cost and complexity. But I don't think we're going to see uh, anything uh, happening too fast on that because uh, there are so many people who need to agree on what to do. And in life, that sometimes becomes difficult if no one can make a, a decision. We've actually created the heart very much in line with what you're saying about this collaboration mindset to connect corporates with corporates, corporates with startups, to co-create new ventures. Do you think that partnership as a strategy, as an approach, is really the next disruptive force in, 
in business and, and how we think about competitive advantage and, and speed. I do very much and I'm actually going to talk more about that later today. And the notion is that uh, that what makes humans live today the way they do is not because of uh, stuff you and I did. It's because of, of what many, many, many other people did, maybe in generations ahead of us. And and that's a different way of talking partnerships. And I think in a, in a modern world with technology and cloud services and open banking and so forth, clearly, if you work in partnerships, you'll be able to come up with better solutions for your clients faster. And again, and I, I know I repeat myself, but I think it's very important, it has to start with the clients. And if you are not doing something that has relevant for clients, you cannot build a business. But if you can understand what's relevant for, for clients and then work in partnerships with others, delivering that to the clients and find obviously good commercial win-win oriented models, uh, I'm 100% sure that that's the model for, for the future. Last question. How do you think the financial industry will evolve in the coming years? Well, I think it will change a lot. And uh, I think that, you know, people have talked about fintech for a long time. I think that probably we're going to see a lot of the fintechs that, that won't survive, that won't really be able to pay the bills. And there's always, you know, uh, bumps on the road on, on, on that. Uh, but there will also be some very successful uh, business models going forward that, that will be able to prevail. I think one thing is for sure, and that is you cannot continue to sell relatively or very expensive products of uh, not necessarily super high quality to, to clients that will now and, and in the years to come get better and better uh, different opportunities to actually uh, create much better traction in their own kind of financial destiny. The Danish Consumer Council launched a report not long ago saying that if you save 1% a year in your savings, you can go on pension with the same amount of money four years in advance. So this is not something that is, uh, has no relevance for people, but, but most people think, well, a percent here, a percent there, what does that mean? It means four years of your life. Four years, think about that. And hopefully we all work longer. And uh, you know, I, I would very much like for Saxonians to do that at least because uh, hopefully they think it's fun. But that also means if you work for those four years, well, maybe there's a summer house or a couple of trips around the world with, with your family, right? So this is about uh, creating much, much uh, better solutions uh, for clients that give them more value, not only monetary value, but actually uh, they can get a better life out of that. So it's really about lowering the friction cost. And that is bound to happen. It will happen. And, and uh, as long as it's still allowed to compete, you will definitely see that. And I think it's going it, to it's gonna accelerate over the next coming years. So people who don't really appreciate that, that don't focus on clients, that do not compete on product, platform, price and service, I think will have a hard time. But this is, a, this is more opportunities than the opposite, but it demands partnerships. Thank you very much. The great story. Thank you so much. Thanks for your interest. Thank you for listening to the Heart Tech Podcast. If this was encouraging to you, be sure to help us by leaving a review on iTunes. Email your comments, questions, and or thoughts to contact at theheart.tech. See you on the next episode.